Hello and welcome to the Earth Movers Podcast. It's your boy, Zach Oy, back at it again with actually the first ever episode that I have ever done. So, my guest today is my good friend and often partner in mischief, Luke Staley. As Luke says, he's an avid life adventurer, he's an amateur mixed martial arts fighter, a poet, and student of English and political science at Hood College in Frederick, Maryland. It was based on the conversations that we've had over the years that as soon as I started doing these podcasts, I knew that Luke was one of the first people I wanted to get on here. In this episode, we're going to talk about intrinsic motivation and how to stay fit and ready through the obstacles that will inevitably come at you through life. All according links should be able to be found in the description of wherever you're getting this podcast. All of Luke's social media handles will also be available in the description. And without further ado, guys, I hope you enjoy the first episode of Earth Movers. What's up, guys? Welcome to the podcast. First episode of many more, hopefully. I'm here with my buddy Luke Staley. Um, Luke, go ahead and introduce yourself. Oh, this is your first episode. This is my first ever That's episode. That's cool. No, I'm super honored. So, um, my name is Luke uh, Staley. Uh, I'm a English and political science double major at uh, Hood College, where Zach also attends, and that's mm-hmm. how we know each other. Um, I am, uh, I don't know, it sounds kind of pretentious to say I consider myself a renaissance man. Let's just say <laughs> I'm someone who likes to do a lot of things. Yeah, you do. Um, uh, I... Uh, I'm an amateur mixed martial artist, uh, a cage fighter. Uh, we'll definitely talk about that. Yes, sir. A little more later, but that's something I do uh, for artistic purposes more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I write a lot of poetry. Uh, I guess by default it makes me a poet, but I'm not a very good one because things like that take time. You got to pay your dues. That's right. Write a lot of bad uh, poems. That's right. Before you uh, write any good ones. Um, but yeah, I, I do a lot. We'll, hopefully, we'll get into that. But um, I enjoyed, you know, hanging out with Zach because uh, we like to talk about <laughs> just a lot of different things. I think our minds work in a way that um, we we so enthusiastically uh, engage in the exploration of the human experience. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We come at we come at life with a lot of energy. So, um, but yeah, man. So let's just open it up with tell us a little bit about your fight. Uh, first and foremost, I'm gonna put the link to the video wherever this is to be found. Um, but they can find your fight. You won in the first round. I mean, with the guillotine, um, no contest. It was a good fight. I, I think, yeah. I think uh, Luke Luke Hunsinger, who was his opponent, put up a pretty good fight. But at the end, you know, you just came in with so much energy. I mean, that's what I would just say was that you really just... Um, I was listening to these announcers. You know, the first the, the, the first recording that I found was these announcers, like, talking about how, oh, Hunsinger's going to win. He's just got so much hype. But, like he clearly just didn't really take advantage of that height. Like he was very on the, on the defense. And I guess you, it, from what I could see and, and granted, I am by no means, uh, a, you know, a professional when it comes to fighting or fighting technique or anything, but you know, you, you just came out with a lot of energy and, you know, you were clearly putting his, um, uh, prerogative of being on the defense and you, you weaponized that against him. Yeah. So, um, real quick, uh, before we get into the, the details of the fight, yeah, let yeah. me just preface it. What for, uh, I think, a lot of people nowadays are familiar with the concept of mixed martial arts with the rising popularity of the UFC sure. um, and other big fighting organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for anyone who isn't, uh, mixed martial arts is a combat sport mm-hmm. uh, like boxing, like wrestling. Uh, but your rule set is uh, much more uh, expansive. You can punch. You can kick. Uh, you can take the opponent to the ground. The fight has uh, no breaks in it. So in boxing, if a fighter falls, they get a, a break, a separation, an eight count. Uh, the ref counts them off if they get knocked down with a punch. Right. But in mixed martial arts, uh, 
besides the one minute breaks in between the rounds, there's no stop. It's a constant flow of the fight. You can win by knockout. You can win by submission, a chokehold, mm-hmm. an arm lock, a leg lock. So in my mind, it's the most pure form of combat. I mean, aside from being able to, you know, eye gouge or kick a guy in the nuts, um, yeah. you, your ways to win the uh, consensual hand-to-hand fight is mm-hmm. uh, yeah, pretty, pretty open. Pretty, pretty unlimited, pretty yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, people think there's a misconception, and I think less so. Uh, for people who follow the sport, but for people who don't, there's a big misconception. Oh my gosh, like fighters, they fight in a cage, they're, they're animals. These must be angry people who had rough childhoods who sure, have, yeah. need to get their anger out. Right. But it's really not that way at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I find certainly there are some people who come from a rough past and mixed martial arts is a therapeutic way to get out some of their aggression. But right. this is a, not a tough guy sport. There's a great quote by Mike Tyson, former heavyweight boxing champion, who says, everybody thinks fighting's a tough guy sport. He said, a tough guy will get hurt in this sport real bad, real fast. This is a thinking man's sport. Yeah. And I really think that is. I mean, you hear a lot of professional mixed martial artists equate combat sports, mixed martial arts to chess. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a very cerebral sport. And I do it because I think there's some artistic expression in it. Right. You, you, you talk about that a lot. Yeah. I mean, if I could be a famous singer or a famous actor, or a famous painter or mm-hmm. a better poet, man, I love to do that instead, but mm-hmm. uh, I can't sing or dance or anything like that, but I can express myself really well through mixed martial arts, through combat sports, sure. through uh, consensual violence, yeah. which in a weird primal way is, is really beautiful to see two, two guys or even, you know, uh, you know, two girls like uh, female mixed martial arts is rising at a rapid pace. But to see two individuals just put everything on the line and um, compete in such a, a visceral atmosphere, I think it's kind of beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like they're trying to hurt each other, but at the same time, they're both putting so much on the line their physical health, mm-hmm. but also like their status, like their friends and family, their yeah, people are sure. there, yeah. and they're risking getting like hurt badly in front yeah, of them. Yeah. But, anyways, yeah, this most recent fight, um, quick synopsis of it i fought on cowboy fight series Mm -hmm. uh if any of you guys know who donald cowboy Cerrone is he's a a legend in combat sports he has the most wins most fights and most finishes in ufc history um he's his next fights against conor mcgregor which even if you're not a ufc fan you've probably heard that name yeah Yeah. so um it'd be the equivalent of if you played basketball getting to play a basketball game in front of michael jordan if you played uh soccer getting to play a a soccer game in front of Cristiano Ronaldo. Sure. You know, and for context, this is what you did. This is what you got. Yeah, to so yeah. Cowboy Cerrone owns his own uh, amateur fight promotion where he takes some of the top amateur talent in the region and has them uh, invite someone to his show to fight in front of him to showcase their skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got a call up to fight on Cowboy Fight Series. A huge opportunity. Um, went out. I got to uh, open up the main card, which was really cool. And I won that fight via first round submission. Um, and that was honestly such a, a cool experience. Um, so short into my career, uh, hopefully I'll have a lot more mm-hmm. highlights to come. But yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I'm coming off of. I just fought on December 21st. And awesome. uh, yeah, still riding high for that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, they say uh, you never is as bad as they say you are after you lose. And you never as good as they say you are after the win. Right. So not going to let it get to my head that's and right. just on to the next one. Yeah, yeah. man. So, so talk a little bit more about um, the concept of like artistry in fighting. I mean, how do you personally bring your own unique spin to you know your uh, you know your style? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that so sense. because mixed martial arts is is so 
uh, almost infinite in the amount of ways you can express yourself through combat. You can be an aggressive fighter, a patient fighter. You can be a fighter that really sets the pace with your cardio and your power punches. Mm. Or you can be a fighter who, you know, maybe tries to take your opponent down and wear him out on the ground. It's, it's literally infinite the amount of ways almost that you can win. Right. So a lot of times what you see is fighters' personalities express themselves in the cage. Uh, you'll see people <clears throat> quit uh, mentally. You'll see resilient people fight through adversity. And as far as styles go, like Zach was mentioning, um, I'm, I'm super energetic. I love to bring a high entertaining pace to the fight. And so my expression of combat sports is one where I want to give the fans something that they'll remember, whether they're there to see me or someone else. At the end of the night, I want them to be like, man, that Luke Staley kid, that's someone I want to see fight again in the future. Um, maybe to my detriment, I've had a decision or two, a fight. Maybe I thought of one that didn't go my way because I tried to be too flashy. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you kind of live by the sword, die by the sword. I know that fighting exciting fights has gotten me a lot of opportunities as well and mm -hmm. wins. Yeah. But, um, no, uh, I see mixed martial arts as uh, an expression of artistry, like mm -hmm. you said, mm -hmm. where I get to go out and, and create something, a moment in time that people will remember. I mean, I know definitely for me, there's been fighters that I've watched them fight and it's really inspired me to be like, you know, I want to do that. And at the same time, uh, what I just saw, like I'll never forget that. Mm. I saw a man or a woman go out there and put their heart and soul. They just left it in the cage. Yeah. Um, and you know, it inspires me to do things outside of fighting in my life. When I see, uh, a person who dedicates so much time and discipline, blood, sweat, and tears and accomplishes a goal. It's like, yeah, not everyone has to be a fighter, but can't everyone take that mentality of someone chasing their dream, going out and accomplishing something that took a lot of hard work to get. And so that's what I want to do as a fighter. I want to use, you know, this platform as a combat sports athlete, not to, beat up another guy in the cage honestly i hate fighting people mm -hmm. but i love the art of mixed martial arts yeah the puzzle of taking combatant and uh <laughs> essentially incapacitating them right as effectively as possible yeah um, that's really interesting yeah no from my understanding i'm not like a historian on this but original some of the original martial arts like judo and japanese jiu-jitsu were created by samurai yeah and the goal of these martial arts was if you somehow lost your weapon your sword in combat mm -hmm. they developed a system of martial arts to um make it so a samurai could win a fight without a sword in as few moves as possible so mm -hmm. if you know anything about judo it's very throw heavy yeah, right you grab someone you throw them through the air sure um and if you've ever uh been thrown on a mat before like that hurts if you take someone and throw them and hit them on the ground like right, that's, that hurts really bad yeah that can incapacitate an opponent and i feel like that same spirit of martial arts is carried through into what i think is the highest form of expression right now which is mixed martial arts something like the ufc or bellator mm -hmm. where the goal is still the same obviously it's at a much higher level than it was when it was first invented but the spirit of how can i use these techniques to win a fight as quickly and effectively as possible while receiving as little damage as possible. Yeah. Like that was the spirit of martial arts when it was first invented. That's what we tune in to watch it for today. Which fighter is going to win as effectively as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So tell me a little bit about um, what's your thoughts on bare knuckle boxing. So I, I actually very recently <laughs> saw 
a Vice doc about how this guy's trying to revive bare knuckle boxing and make it a pro sport and kind of make it something that's competitive with professional boxing or the UFC. Um, but I've heard Joe Rogan kind of give his little, um, you know, opinion on what he thinks about bare knuckle boxing, how he thinks that gloves are actually one of the more dangerous pieces of equipment that actually, you know, cause people to throw punches that are, you know, a little bit more damaging than, than they would otherwise do if they didn't have that padding. And he's basically talking about how the padding is really only to defend the knuckle of the man throwing it rather than the face of the person. Absolutely. It. Yeah. If you've, uh, for people who have, have, uh, thrown a punch without gloves before and hit something hard, like it hurts. It does. There's a lot of small bones in your hand. Uh, yeah. I can't watch movies anymore sometimes without being taken out of it. Cause I'll see like the hero yeah. punch a guy in the face with, uh, his hand. And even if it knocks the guy out, uh, I'd be like, yeah, if you hit a guy that hard without gloves, you'd break your hand. Yeah. And so what, uh, Rogan thinks Joe Rogan, a UFC commentator, uh, runs a huge podcast. Um, mm-hmm. What Zach is talking about, bare knuckle boxing, is exactly what it sounds like. It's boxing without the big gloves. He thinks it's a more pure expression of combat because you'd fight like you actually would fight in a street fight. Sure. Um, and I will never criticize um, a fighter for going out and experimenting with new forms of combat, but I personally don't like uh, bare knuckle boxing hmm. as much as modern day boxing or mixed martial arts. Um, yes, it's more, I guess, realistic of what it would be like in a street fight, mm-hmm. but... I feel like it's, man, I feel like sometimes it's a detriment to the fighter's longevity because they're getting cut. Uh, obviously, the the surface area of your knuckles is really small. It's like hitting someone with um, a bunch of quarters like yeah. on your hand. Like People's faces get cut up and your hands get broken. And, you know, um, obviously, I want martial arts to be a pure form of combat. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the slightly modified... Uh, sporting uh, version of, of combat sports, which is combat sports with gloves, like boxing and mixed martial arts, is mm-hmm. just so much safer for the fighters. Right. And it allows them to really, uh, you know, throw punches without worrying about breaking their hands, which I think is, like, a lot more entertaining. Right. And yeah. I almost think it allows them to express their combat more openly because they're not afraid to experiment with more, you know, crazy techniques or, you know, throw punches like they're trying to knock a guy's head into sure. the back row of a stadium. Yeah. It's a little <laughs> more approachable. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what's t- tell us a little bit about like what's the future for you? You know what you were telling me earlier about how you are trying to do something like four more fights this year or three more fights this year. Yeah, so right now I'm an amateur mixed martial artist. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no setting for how many amateur fights you need before you go pro. Uh-huh. Unlike sports that are uh, have been around longer, more established, like football, baseball, basketball, where you know you play your club, you play in high school. If you're good, you'll get a chance to play in college, and then if you do good in college, you might get drafted into a professional organization for fighting you fight as many times as you want on the amateur circuit you can have a winning record or a losing record and when you think it's time to go pro uh you can start reaching out to professional organizations uh and find a fight and they'll probably book you i mean there's a lot of uh organizations out there looking for fighters and really all they care about is making money Mm -hmm. so if they can get a guy who sells a lot of tickets they don't really care about you um, basically what I'm saying, I don't want to ramble on too long in the semantics of it, but you can kind of go pro whenever you want. Right. So it's up to you and making sure you have a good team around you who make sure that you go pro at the right time. Yeah. So I have uh, five amateur fights right now, and I'd like at least five more. I'd like okay. ten. Okay. The only difference, honestly, between amateur and pro is uh, you need a lot more medicals <laughs> for pro, a lot more paperwork, and you right. get paid. Yeah. But essentially I'm doing the same thing as an amateur, like – People buy tickets to come watch me fight in a cage 
and mm-hmm. uh, the only difference is I don't really get paid. Right. So, so um, yeah. So the so the way like the the pros profit essentially is by ticket sales, by sponsorships, and then by winnings. So are those like yes. the three kind of main? Those are the three main things, and the big one, uh, your first couple of fights is gonna be ticket sales and sponsorships. Yeah. But uh, you get like 20 percent of your ticket sales. But uh, if you keep winning your fights. You know, build up a good record, you know, you know, 10 and 0, 10 and 1, you mm-hmm. know, whatever, something around that mark. Then you'll get a call up from a bigger organization like the UFC or Bellator. They'll be like, hey, you know, we've seen, you know, you're, you're 10 and 1 as a professional mm-hmm. on this regional circuit. Why don't you get a chance? We're going to give you a chance to fight in the UFC. And that's where you can actually start making real money. Yeah just by showing up and, right, and fighting. fighting and being yeah, a professional athlete. Do. Yeah. Wow. So right now, um, like I said, uh, I'm still grinding in the amateur circuit. I'm still mm-hmm. a full-time college student. That's right. Um, once I finish college and my coaches and team think, I read it, think I'm ready, I'll make my uh, pro debut. Uh, nothing really matters in your amateur career other than you want experience and you don't want to go pro too early or, or even too late. Right. Um. Your record resets to 0 and 0. So as soon as you go pro, pro circuit, yeah. So yeah. if you're 10 and 0 as an amateur, <clears throat> and then lose your first professional fight, you're not a you're now 0 and 1. Yeah, you're that's 0 and 1 now. Yeah, and I mean that's that way for any professional sport. No one has a, a MVP season in the NFL, right. and then someone goes, oh, but he had a bad game in college or a bad yeah, game exactly, in high school. It's exactly. like yeah, no one really cares what you do until you go pro. So. Okay. You know, it's on you to make sure you get to the level you need to be as an amateur sure. before you make that leap into sure. the professional circuit. But yeah, my my full intention is to fight professionally as a mixed martial artist uh, for a year or two just to check it off the bucket list. But after that, um, you know, I only have one life to live. I kind of want to explore yeah. some different elements of that too. I right. want to maybe try to join the special forces. Yeah. Like, like you said, you're a renaissance yeah. man. There's, <laughs> there's going to be a lot in store for you, so that's really exciting. Um. Let's transition a little bit. Let's. Um, I've gotten a lot of questions so far asking you about how do you prepare, how do you train, and and you know being someone that's been close to you, I've seen you know when you're in crunch time and when you're fasting and, Ooh, like, yeah. and, and you're trying to cut weight. But talk about from the jump. I mean, when you first find out you have a fight, what does the preparation process look like from point A all the way to point you know B C D when it's like you know a day before the fight. Yeah, so this is a, a great question, uh, preparation of how to get ready for a fight. Now, mm-hmm. um, fighters tend to do this thing called camps where you get a fight booked. Uh, typically, it's about eight weeks out. Your manager, your coach will come to you. We've got an opponent and we've got a date, you know, mm-hmm. you know, January, whatever, yeah. at this show. So you'll know when you're fighting and who you're fighting. Right. And you'll have eight weeks to put in a training camp. More and more with the evolution of mixed martial arts, You'll see guys just train really hard all year round and mm-hmm. really the only thing you're changing is maybe a little bit more intense sparring or diet when you have a fight booked. But right. when you get that fight booked, um, a huge part of uh, mixed martial arts is making weight. Uh, so you have to get your diet down so you can make your weight class. Mm-hmm. But for me, I, I kind of train hard all year round. It, it'll look something like, uh, you know, I go to college in the day. And Monday uh, through Thursday, Monday through Friday, I'm training um, 8.30 to 10 at night, uh, mixed martial arts. And then I'll train uh, miscellaneous stuff on the weekend. But mm-hmm. essentially, I'm training six to seven days a week. I always get in a Friday session too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm doing stuff in the mornings like jogging, sprints, lifting weights, stuff like that. Right. I'll try to do two sessions a day, 
maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'll do something in the morning. So three days of the week, I'm doing two days. And then pretty much every day of the week, I'm training at night with my team. Right. What actually we're doing, um, you have to separate your training into, I'd say, the three main uh, areas of mixed martial arts, which is stand-up, striking, um, groundwork, your wrestling and your jiu-jitsu, and your work off the fence, cage work. Uh, obviously, you're in a cage, so you have to learn how to defend, take down, zone the cage, defend, strikes on the cage, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we... Uh, find a coach that we really like fighters you should do uh, find a coach that you trust and then let them put your program together so um i'll do you know depending on who i'm fighting Mm -hmm. depending on what strategy i want to implement different things almost every night some days we go really heavy on wrestling some days we really go heavily on jujitsu other days we go really heavy on kickboxing or boxing yeah uh but really the secret to being a successful fighter is just finding a coach you like uh, that works for you, that you know is smart, and then showing up to practice every day. Yeah. Um, one of the things that surprised me a lot about uh, becoming an amateur mixed martial artist is uh, uh, fight teams are not usually separated into amateur and pro teams. A lot of gyms, I'd say the majority, um, they have an MMA fight team, but mm-hmm. the pros and the amateurs you know, train together. Mm-hmm. So you get an opportunity to see how professionals work um, I trained with one of the best professional fighters on the East Coast. He might be the best professional fighter on the East Coast outside the UFC. Undefeated. His name's Terry Bartholomew. Wow. Shout out to Terry. Undefeated as an amateur. Terry was. He's 7-2 and two as a pro. Wow. Um, I think he's finished four or five of those seven wins. He's never been finished himself. Um, and he's submitted uh, and beaten fighters from uh, big organizations like Bellator and um, won championship. Uh, which is a huge professional organization over in Asia. And uh, he's uh, got some big fights in the works again soon. He's probably, you know, I'd imagine two or three wins away from the UFC. Wow. He probably could be there now if yeah. he wanted to. He wanted to but anyways, I get to train with him on a daily basis. Right. And he's just a normal guy. Yeah. You know, the there's nothing special about him in the sense that he's not, you know, some you know freak nature godlike world-class athlete i mean obviously he's a professional athlete that's Mm -hmm. how he makes his living is fighting in a cage right but what he does the hardest thing that he does which is the hardest thing for every fighter to do is he's consistent yeah he shows up to practice when he's tired he wakes up and trains you know when he's sore he shows up every day and even on the days where he has bad days he's Mm -hmm. still there yeah i mean that's the thing that i can't emphasize enough is fighters are not just special people or they're not special people. And and honestly, no one that you meet in any field is is anything other than human. Yeah. They've right. just done their craft and showed up every day and gotten better. Yeah. And so that's that's really the secret to being successful at anything you do is just showing up every day and working hard. Sure. At what yeah, you do. No, that's a really good point. I'm, I talk to a lot of people about this point of discipline versus motivation and how a lot of people are like, man, I really want to find the motivation to go do this thing and it's like well how do you expect that you're always going to wake up in the morning and and feel like bruce lee or feel like somebody that's like screaming in your mind like hey go do this you got to do this it's not really about that it's it's just about the the concept of i have this scheduled because i know long term i have this goal and the only way to get there is to show up every single day and so i really like that you brought that up yeah and no it's tough man i i have three part-time jobs i had 18 credits this semester in college yeah and 18 credits uh the previous semester and this semester rather. Uh, mm-hmm. So full course load, lots of part-time work to get myself through school and pay for training. 
and I train minimum 15 to 16 hours a week yeah. for mixed martial arts. That's so that's another part-time job in and of itself. Yeah. So it, it is a lot of uh, organization. It is a decent amount of discipline, but uh, man, I love this sport so much. It's yeah. not for everybody. I think everyone should train martial arts, mm-hmm. but I, I understand that everyone might not want to compete uh, in MMA. Yeah. But if it's the sport for you, man, no other sport will do it for you. Right, go for it. Yeah. Talk to talk to me a little bit about your self-talk. Like, how do you – well, let's go beyond self-talk even. How do you kind of maintain, like, a mental homeostasis that you can, you know, be tranquil, that you can be, you know, focused and, you know, do all these things but without burning out? Yeah, so uh, I guess there's almost two parts to that question. How okay. do you not burn out? How do you get the mindset? Sure. Mindset comes through preparation. Whether you're about to <laughs> – fight another uh, train killer in a cage yeah. or take an exam that you've been worrying about your confidence will come through preparation mm-hmm. so if you're eating the wrong foods not training every day you're gonna be walking out to that cage watching that other guy staring you down as you're about to you know fight him and you're gonna be like oh my gosh like this is what did i get myself into whereas if you you know did everything that you were supposed to do leading up to the competition you step into the cage knowing, you know, if I give it my 100%, this is going to go well. Maybe, maybe I will, you know, win. Maybe I will lose. It's an unforgiving sport with a really small margin for error. Right. But I know that I've done everything to give a good performance, mm. which is going to set me up really well for winning. And I know that win, lose, or draw, when I leave it all in the cage, I'll be satisfied with what I did. Mm. That's confidence. Yeah. You know? And like I said, that that goes into any area of life. If you've prepped really hard for a job interview and even going beyond that, years before this job interview, you studied hard in college, you know, you, you got the right internships, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then, you know, in the days leading up to it, you mentally prepped yourself and visualized. You're going to go into that job interview feeling like you belong there, feeling like you deserve this job yeah. and you're going to have the confidence to kill that interview. How do I keep myself from burning out? Uh, I love the sport, man. Certainly there's days where it sucks. um, But at the end of the day, I I wouldn't trade it for absolutely anything. I love this lifestyle. The diet's hard. The discipline's hard. Your body hurts. You are a a little bit mentally drained. But the, oh my gosh, man, the rush of, you know, stepping into a cage and fighting in front of, I mean, hundreds of people. There have been shows, even as an amateur, where there are a thousand or more people there live, getting the fight in front of them and hearing that roar of the crowd. I mean, dude, nothing else is like it. But but more than that, much more than that, is what I proved to myself. Like, Mm -hmm. I doubt myself constantly. I think of myself as lazy. I think of myself as as weak. I think of myself as a coward. I mean, this is not unique to me. These are self-doubts that we all have. Sure. Every single one of us. Yeah. Absolutely. And you can, you know, uh, sort of quell those doubts with with hard work in any area. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a sport. It could be, you know, an art. It could be writing, journaling, um, at, you know, ceramics, whatever going whatever off the rails. But yeah. yeah, but for me, it is fighting. And so when I get to step into that cage um, and when the fight is over, you know, get your hand raised or maybe hell, maybe it doesn't go your way. But at the end of the day, you know, man, I spent eight weeks, you know, giving my heart and soul to this. And I went out and did something that was really scary. Something that 
I never believed I could do, mm-hmm. and I just did it. You know, yeah. I know that at least that night, right. I wasn't a weak person. I wasn't a coward. You yeah. know, at least for those eight weeks, I wasn't you know unambitious or lazy. Right. And getting to prove that to myself is worth every bit of sacrifice. And keeping that in mind when things get tough, that's how I kind of keep from from burning out. Yeah. I found something that I love to do. Yeah. And I've dedicated myself fully to it. Right. You've gone after it with 100% energy. Yeah. yeah. It's the only way you can do something. I mean, in any area of life, there's no sense in going into something if you're only going to give it half your effort. Right. You're wasting your time. You might as well find something else you like and put 100% effort exactly. into that. Yeah. I mean – People talk about this thing where they're like afraid to take risks. And there's this great quote I love by Jim Carrey where mm-hmm. he said, Jim Carrey, the actor comedian. Sure, sure, yeah. You know, obviously if you make it, acting's a lucrative business. But how, for every successful actor, there's a hundred wannabes, you know. And he was just talking about chasing your dream and everything. And he said, you can fail at playing it safe. So why not risk failing at something you love to do? Yeah. So if you have something that you're passionate about and you have voices in your head or people around you, who, hell, maybe they have good intentions but are telling you to take the safe path, whatever that may be. Right. Just understand that you can fail miserably at taking that quote-unquote safe path yeah. um, or maybe succeed and be miserable, it, Yeah, exactly. you know, which might even be worse. Frankly, I think so why not risk it and, and go for the thing that you enjoy, you know, explore life. You only get one as generic as it sounds like, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, why survive when you can thrive? You know? Yeah, dude, yeah. I, that's been so trippy, dude. I've been thinking about this so recently. Oh my gosh, like <laughs> all of a sudden I'll just be aware of my unconsciousness. Yeah. Like how crazy is it that like I have consciousness that I'm sentient, that I'm aware of my surroundings? Right. And all of a sudden I get overwhelmed with this great gratitude for being alive. Like mm-hmm. what is this that a thing that I'm experiencing? Like I'm experiencing consciousness yeah. in, a, in a finite set of time. I get – an opportunity to explore this floating rock in the middle of space. Right. Yeah. You know, and yeah. Yeah. No. Everyone's got problems. There's always going to be stresses. But when you think about how crazy it is that we get a chance to um just, just be. Just, just be. to exist. I was just gonna say that. Just be. Yeah. yeah. Um uh it, it every trivial uh stress that you're you know, worried about seems so much smaller and you right. have a little bit more freedom, I think, to, yeah. no, you know, and, and I, it's funny. I think that's part of where, you know, we are in this epidemic now of, you know, depression and, um, you know, anxiety and maybe not as much anxiety, but like this feeling of existential dread, like what, you know, what are we doing that causes, I'd say the majority of people to become, you know, ridden to their beds, to their computers, to their, you know, whatever it is that it's easy to just you know, just kind of like exist in a, in a, in a period of like stasis, you know, not actually doing anything, not actually going for anything. And so I think that's such a good concept of you can fail doing literally anything, you know, you can fail, you know, just having a minimum wage job and just getting by and just paying the bills and, you know, not actually going out and doing anything. Yeah. Getting that degree in accounting rather than going out and trying to be a a singer or something. Right. Exactly. And so it, it, it is that realization of, Whatever comes next, you know, and nobody has the answer to this, you know, whoever tells you they do, okay, take it with a grain of salt because nobody has the exact answer. But whatever comes next is secondary to what is now. And I believe what is now and, and where you put yourself in that vibration that you kind of exist in right here and now, you're going to carry that, you know, if you, you know, if you die and wherever you go off to, you most likely will carry that with you. And so it's all about like, you know, why right now am I? allowing myself to exist in this place of fear 
and exist in this place of, you know, doing nothingness because I'm, you know, crippled by fear? Why would I not harness that fear and, you know, go take a massive risk? Because at the end of the day, you know, mo- all things are temporal. You know, all things are yeah. temporary. That, that, that's a rhetorical question. Why not risk it? But I do, I think I have an answer for it, which yeah. is I, people are really afraid to get outside their comfort zone. Yeah. Um, and gosh, like a, a blessing and a curse of, of Western society, Western civilization is that we have a really big comfort zone. Like yeah. you can live a life of leisure and comfort. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to get like, too political but like relatively easy i mean yeah i mean i know it's it's definitely harder for some people than i don't want to sound ignorant and say that there aren't many many people in america alone that live in poverty and will and will struggle yeah to reach that that middle class homeostasis but i mean a a lot of people a lot of people gosh even our lower middle class even our poor in america Mm -hmm. live better than some of the middle class in in other countries but but for a lot of people i'll just say a lot of people in america and again, I, I don't want to sound uh, uh, condescending or, or naive. I, I know this is not the, not the the reality for everyone, but mm-hmm. for many, there is the danger of you can live a life, go to college, or you know find a job you like, and you know live a middle class life, middle class job, wife, two kids, dog, vacation once a year, yeah. pay off your college debt till you're forty, pay off your mortgage till you're sixty, pay off your kids college debt till you're eighty. Yeah. And live a really comfortable life, really not doing anything your whole life. Right. You can just, you know, you got three meals a day, a warm place to sleep, mm-hmm. and you can go your entire life without really ever getting outside your comfort zone. Sure. You watch your T V shows, you do your, you know, once a year fishing trip. Like mm-hmm. You, you you can it's so easy to just waste your life away yeah. in the society and gosh that 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 is like almost a beautiful thing that poverty in the uh in the world and, and starvation and disease is at the lowest it's ever been in the history of of human civilization sure. like that is cool but a side effect of that is we're so comfortable now yeah it is possible to be born into a nice comfy middle class family mm-hmm. and live your entire life without ever having yeah. To face discomfort. For sure. Yeah. And that and, and I'd say that fear of facing discomfort, well, maybe not even the fear, but the the just you taking for granted and, you know, allowing yourself to sit in that comfort, that's creating, you know, this epidemic of, of depression. You know? No, hundred percent. So Yeah, man. Yeah, and I I I would almost say that um physical like it uh not physical but um sought out discomfort is the Mm -hmm. easiest form of discomfort and here's what i mean by this like um putting yourself in situations where you have to face struggle is the easiest form of struggle yeah so to elaborate like i choose to play sports Mm -hmm. and that's hard Mm -hmm. but it's not that hard because i'm choosing to do it right you know um so yeah like yeah getting on the treadmill and running five to 10 miles, you know, will test your mental toughness some, but it's not testing your mental toughness. Like it would be to lose your job or have a bad breakup. Like those are things you can't control. And if you put yourself in uncomfortable positions that you can control, when uncomfortable positions come into your life that you can't control, you're already prepared a little bit better to deal with that stress. So in whatever area of your life it is, find a way to put yourself in stressful, uncomfortable positions that you can control. Yeah. Challenge yourself with new hobbies or business ventures or 
I don't know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Challenge yourself to read a book. Yeah. You know, every so often, wake up and run. It can be a mental or physical challenge. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, even though you don't necessarily think it will apply, if you challenge yourself in little ways to build mental toughness when bad situations happen, yeah. I mean, really bad situations like the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one. Yeah. The mental toughness you have developed from maybe things that you consider insignificant will make you a stronger person sure. in times of, yeah. of real right. no, no, uh, yeah, need for mental Right, toughness. discomfort is the only place that growth happens. Yeah. And so I think that's a really good point that you can seek out that discomfort to actively, you know, force yourself to grow. That's what athletes are doing. That's what, you know, that's, you know, what college students are doing. That's what researchers are doing. They're trying to expand our, you know, our knowledge base and our ability to self-reflect. And that really only happens through, you know, um, uh, discomfort. And that doesn't always have to be the most adverse situations, but I think your point is a really good one that, you know, the more that you are able and the more that you are intrinsically capable of going after, you know, that forced growth, the more you'll be able to accept it when, you know, rough things happen and the more you'll be able to take those situations and hopefully turn them into opportunities because there is, it's cliche, but there literally is always an opportunity out of the darkest place. There is. And and you really only learn through failure. Yeah. You really only learn, well, uh, failure and success, but you really only learn what works and doesn't work Mm -hmm. by doing, by doing. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm seeking out failure and success actively. I'm not waiting for a failure Mm. Or a success to come out of the blue and 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 molly whop me when I'm not expecting, especially in the failure part. Right. So I, I actively engage in in things that that test my, you know, my intellect, my physical aptitude, or whatever. Mm. Um. So I'm constantly learning about myself in ways that I can control. So when something that is out of my control comes into my life, mm-hmm. I can be like, man, I I have a really good idea of who I am through the failures and successes that I've put myself through with both hands of the steering wheel. Yeah. And now that this uh, obstacle has come into my life, I'm prepared to face it head on because I, I've faced a lot of uh, obstacles uh, through through ventures of mine. Um, and it's not like I'm unfamiliar with these uh, these challenges. Yeah. But uh, do you have um, do you have a deliberate self-reflection practice that you kind of fall back onto? Yes, on but regular? not. So I definitely meditate a lot, but I don't have like scheduled times for meditation. Okay. So um, I definitely do things uh, to, um, what do you say, self? Uh, Self-reflect, Self-reflect I guess. 100%. Yeah. So I journal a lot. I write a decent amount of poetry mm-hmm. and I meditate. Those are all things that I do to sort of self-reflect. Right. Um, honestly, just being, del- what, there's no like one way to do it. Just being deliberate about having something that you do is yeah. important. Right. Yeah. Awesome. So just a follow-up question. It's a, it's a pretty difficult question, so we'll see how you, you respond to it. But it, it goes in conjunction with you know muscular recovery and muscle building. And I was going to ask you uh, – let me, let me start with a different question first. Sure. So the first question that I was going to ask you when we were talking a little bit about your training earlier was you mentioned that on top of doing actual fight training, you know, you're doing cardio. You're doing some weightlifting. You're probably doing some other things. How do you kind of track your – you know the way that you feel internally and – know what to train so that you're not like burning yourself out so that you don't, you know, do like a really heavy squat session. And then you have to go, you know, you know, train when and your legs are just totally shot. How do you kind of like listen to your own body? How do you like, how does that work for you? So for me, I, I listen to people who have been there before. Like I, I listen to the professionals who are, uh, 
more familiar with those those waters because I don't want to try to explore uncharted waters without mm-hmm. without consulting someone else that I feel like that's ignorant. So, um, uh, definitely I I used to be of the bro science mentality of like the harder you push, bro, the stronger you'll be. It's like right. if you're in pain, just keep grinding. Yeah. Um, but one of the greatest professional mixed martial artists of all time, uh, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. Um, said that one of the best things that he learned to do early in his career, I mean, this guy's an amazing UFC fighter. Uh, he has the most title defenses consecutive in UFC history. Mm-hmm. One of the most cerebral and technical uh, combat sports athletes of this generation. He was like, I take days off when I feel sore. Yeah. I listen to my body. It's it's better to train smart than to train like an idiot. It's better to train smarter, not harder. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I guess for me, I uh, first of all, I listen to my coaches. We have trainers, massage therapists, right. uh, just other athletes who have been in the sport a long time. Listen sure. to their guidance. Um, but also just like your body will tell you when it needs a little bit of a rest. Mm-hmm. And uh, just being in tune uh, with my with my physical side of myself. Yeah. And the best way to be in tune with the physical side of yourself is to just train uh, yeah. a lot. And, uh, you know, you it, it's hard to really articulate. But if you've been, you know, training, you know six to seven days a week for months and you know when your body sort of feels on you kind of have a good idea of you know when your body feels off and sort of you know listening to it um i know that's it's a really generic answer but it's mm-hmm. generic because it's the truth it's you true know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely no a lot of people ask me that like you know what if i'm sore should i go do my back day should i you know continue with the plan that it's that i've been given by my trainer or like that i found on the internet or whatever it is and i think the point really is that especially when it comes to bodybuilding and muscle building and stuff like that, people all like so often neglect the very basic point that you're, when you lift weights, when you exercise, you're not making gains. You are literally breaking down your muscles. Yeah. And so if you don't set out time for recovery, you will not recover. And, and it's really tough when, you know, some of the biggest names in motivation and and health and fitness right now are guys like David Goggins, where people have to remember (laughs) David Goggins is not, when he first got into like running and, and like hard exercise, he wasn't doing it to build his body up. He was doing it to condition his mind. mind. Yeah. Right. And so you have to remember that you have to take these things with a grain of salt because you might not be as totally, you know, self-sabotaging and, you know, mentally object as David Goggins was when he first got into this. I don't and think anyone is as mentally object as David Goggins. I don't think they are yeah. either. And so, and so, yeah, there are times when you want to, like, you know, you might be sore and it's like, you know what, screw that, push through, you know, break through that mental barrier. But you have to remember if you want to recover, if you want to get stronger, the recovery is when that happens. Yeah, and for combat sports athletes too, uh, especially for head injury, like, if you take a shot and you're feeling a headache, do not train. Right. Like, your arm breaks if you break your arm like it happens yeah. you know you can recover even you know for worse injuries and broken bones like tendons like acl tears i would say are worse than broken bones like mm. your acl will recover eventually if you train right especially for an athlete your right. body will right. you know heal a little bit quicker. and there yeah and there are ways to uh you know uh increase the productivity or increase the effectiveness of the recovery yeah. by training but brain damage like cte in your brain that that does not heal easy and, yeah. and at a certain point it is permanent so right. yeah. <laughs> just a quick side note if, if you are injured in the head for any sport you know you definitely want to take the proper time to recover you don't get any stronger you just get a little stupider exactly yeah or maybe a lot so let's let's um let's ask let me ask you this question that somebody asked me on, on Twitter here. And it's basically, is it far more essential for martial artists to focus on um, avoiding oxidants compared to bodybuilders? Um, they put in quotations or they put in a, um, parentheses, higher injury risk, fast and slow twitch muscles, recovery rate and stuff. Difference between the ideal body weight of the two. 
So I guess what they're asking is, do you, I'll, I'll put it in the diet sense. Like, sure. do you actively try to avoid oxidizing foods or foods that are, you know, frankly, just unhealthy? Well, I um, do not always watch my diet the best when I don't have a <laughs> fight booked. Right. Um, but fighters are not bodybuilders. We're not trying to build a certain physique. We're trying to build ourselves for optimal performance. Right. Um, so, man, I, I hate the fact that this sounds like a cop-out answer, but, like, it, it is the most true answer I can think of. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, honest to God, like, I wish I had a more, like, answer specific uh, it's specific to his question, but sure. it really just depends on the fighter. Yeah. Like, um, everyone's obviously body works different for different diet, mm-hmm. but also like even just like the, the mental aspect of it, like certain fighters like to eat like certain things before the day they fight mm-hmm. just because like it gets their mental psyche. And I know that sounds like such bro science, but like if it makes them feel comfortable, sometimes I feel like that would be better for their performance than them having eating something they're uncomfortable with. Like mm-hmm. that's such an unscientific answer to your question. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, it really just depends on every fighter. And I want to give, um, an answer that I'm like uneducated on because, uh, fighters know how to fight and then they hire dietitians yeah, to exactly. about their diet. Yeah. yeah. Right. And that is a quick plug for hiring a coach for, for your health. And Absolutely. Training. Yeah. Boom. If it's something that you're committed to, you know, pay someone who's taken the time to do a little bit, a little bit of research and learn about right. uh, what nutrition would give you the optimal performance for sure. sure. Sweet. But a great question. But yeah, I definitely think the answer is, as a, uh, you know, it, it definitely depends on your body, but also like hire someone who knows what they're talking about. Absolutely. Which is not me, so I'm not going to give <laughs> yeah. a scientific answer. Cool. Okay, well, sweet Luke, I'm, I'm glad you came through and um, I'm glad we did this little recording. And until next time, people can find you on Instagram. I'll, I'll throw your little tag in the uh, description um, wherever this is to be found, wherever people are listening to this. But until next time, I appreciate you coming through. And- yeah, thank you, man. I'd love to come on another time and then talk about like maybe like one one i feel like we touched a lot like one aspect and goes super deep into yeah. it so like three or four and kind of skim the surface for sure but um yeah thank you so much for having me on man i really appreciate it really good conversation until uh, next time until next time handshake Sweet. and yeah. my pleasure well there you have it everybody i hope you enjoyed this episode of earth movers don't forget to follow me wherever social media content is distributed at z a c h zero y and until next time stay frosty